Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Rwandjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We would like to pay our respects to Elders both past and present and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians who might be listening. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Big Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. Deep from the side. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum's fifth quarter. I'm your host, Nicole Hayes, and I'm joined today by a man you might know as best-selling author of the hugely popular Specky McGee kids' footy books. You might not know him by his other identity, though, as Erinsborough's own Marco Alessi, a.k.a. Felice Arena. Welcome to the fifth quarter, Felice. I don't know where to begin. Thank you, Nicole. Oh, my gee, I haven't heard that name or that character. That was from another life. I feel like I'm a time lord. I'm 133 years old, and that was from one of my first lives, I think. As you said, most people would probably know me from Specky McGee, but... um, Thank you. Thank you for the intro. It's nice to be here. You're Melbourne-based, and so you've just come out of, like I have, two years of uh, lockdown on and off, and a big part of what you do is going to schools and having events with children in the public and travelling around. How are you doing, How and how are things now? <laughs> I'm thawing. That's my term. I'm coming out of a block of ice. It feels like we're slowly, slowly, right? But that almost killed me like many Melburnians, that initial lockdown was novel, the second or third, okay, by the fourth or fifth, I didn't know where I was. And and to be a creative, people would say to me and family would say, well, you're always home and you're writing and you work for yourself. So it's no real difference. And I said, no, 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 I'm fueled by going out into the world, talking to kids, being inspired by them, and then coming back to write. I didn't have that balance. I didn't have my yin to my yang, if you can put it that way. It took a while. And, you know, Nicole, I, I saw you online a couple of times. I think we were going through the same thing. We were awake at three in the morning, right, or four in the morning. <laughs> we're looking at Twitter going, what am I doing wide awake? But there was nothing else to do. So in terms of trying to find a rhythm um, in that year or in the last two years it was difficult. And then finally I found this story, and I think the character, was a real anchor for me in a lot of ways. Kept me motivated. She was uh, inspiring for me as well. And I often say, characters find me after a while. I hear their voices and say, write my story. Go on, do it now. You're walking around this park a million times during lockdown. Now write my story. And that's what it was, basically. Uh, you're talking about Maggie from The Unstoppable Flying Flanagan. So do you want to talk us a little bit more about this idea? So it's set against the backdrop of World War Two. Maggie is... She's 12 years old, so 11, 12. She's grade 6, 1942 Melbourne, and she is mad about football. It came about 2019. I was on a train to from London to Edinburgh 
And I read this newspaper article about women in sport during World War One and World War Two. And while the men were fighting overseas, the women took on the roles or so-called roles of male jobs and also male so-called male sports, you know, at the time. I was intrigued by this and it reminded me of that. Remember that film, A League of Our Own, uh, with Madonna and Gina Davis? Oh, love that film. And it was happening. And it was happening right around the world at the time while the men were fighting. They were playing soccer in the UK and and baseball in America. And I had wondered about Aussie rules football and I hadn't thought of it after that. I put the paper down and went on with my trip. And then during lockdown in 2020, in the middle of it, I came across on one of my walks and the many walks we all did, (laughs) um, a, a, a friend and he was saying how much his daughter loved Specky McGee and loved the character of Tiger Girl in Specky McGee and could relate to Tiger Girl, and she hoped to one day play for the AFLW. That got me thinking of that newspaper article, and I ran home and I googled Australian rules football, women's Australian rules football, and I was surprised to see it goes way beyond five, ten years ago. It goes back a hundred years ago. I was, hmm. I was in. I was in. I could hear Maggie's voice saying, well, what if I want to play and it's 1942? And so the story begins. And it was inspired by some of the research I did on AFL women's that played under the guise of charity to raise money for the troops. There was one in 1933, one in 1947, one way back in 1915 during the Great War. Um, and even one was reported in Sandhurst around Bendigo in over 100 years ago. All these times, the women had a chance to play and then the men would would stop it when they got back. And I sort of wonder how far we would have come if women were allowed to have leagues back in 1942. I mean, we're talking 80 years ago, 80 years ago. Nicole, I found this amazing footage, and I wonder if your listeners will be able to find it. It was mislabeled, this whole black and white footage from the 1933 game, and it's women playing Aussie rules football, and they were raising money for the Red Cross, a Carlton versus Richmond, and they had mislabeled it as rugby you hear the the commentator on it, and he's, I mean, he's, he is of that era, so condescending toward the women playing. It was so novel. It was almost like a circus act for them. Come, we have pony rides, we have uh, <laughs> lollies to sell, and we have women's footy, as it was a some some act, novelty act. And I and I played it for the first time. I went into a school visit last week to an all boys school. And I was playing this piece of footage to them. And they, I think with our 2022 ears, we're all gobsmacked to hear it but and to see how far we have come from them. But we still have a long way to go. Uh, in researching this book, can I say, I've had, I've heard casual prejudice, you know, it's a, well, mate, it's not that exciting though, you know, and it's not, the skill level's not up there. And I just, I go, oh my God, this is 2022. Could you imagine my character Maggie in 1942? just she's offered a chance her school's offered a chance to raise money for the troops and her connection to football is her big brother Patrick who's fighting overseas and she misses him dearly and she suggests to the nuns at her Catholic primary school that they should have a a footy match to raise money but an all-girls footy match they just think she's ridiculous this is crazy no the girls will have a, a cake store or sewing circle and Maggie hates sewing and cooking and the boys will have a a billy cart derby and that's it, end of story. But that's not going to stop the unstoppable flying Flanagan. 
She is delightful. She's gutsy and she's cool. How far did you think you could push her, given the era it's set in, but also bearing in mind the imperatives of the modern-day child reader who has to engage with this character? Well, I always say you have to really hone in on the finer details, the small details to make it sound incredibly authentic. So I could, as long as I was authentic with the time and the era and what was happening in the background culturally, it was such a rich time in music. Even though there was this horrible thing going on called World War II, it was rich in culture, in sport, and Melbourne was a, a lively city at the time. So in that, in that, in terms of that, I could go as far as I want. In terms of, there's always parameters when you're writing for what they call middle grade readers from nine to twelve. But I'm hoping thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds, even parents, will read this story. I could push it, but I, I kept kind of true to what the spirit would have been and what. Who's to say? I mean, it's based, it's inspired by these games. But I'm sure every year there were girls leading right up until about five years ago when AFL Women started that wanted to play football. And you did that with your first book, Nicole. Mad about football but couldn't get to play. And, well, well your book, I, it's, I'm going back now, but it was set in, eight, in the 80s, right? Oh, my God, the 80s. I mean, even the 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, if you look at some of the AFLW players, the senior ones, they were unable to continue through their teen years because there was nowhere for, for teenage girls to play. Exactly. So they had to often, you know, look at someone like an Erin Phillips who had to literally leave the sport from 14 to something like 19 years, went and played basketball and clearly mm-hmm. did okay out of that but yeah. um, and came back to the sport. But that's the current generation. The, the younger players have had a continuous pathways, but the older players absolutely have not. So it's shockingly relatable in so many ways. That's more of a testament probably to, to how slow we've been in the uptake there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Continuing with this idea of those parameters and the boundaries, you set this book against the backdrop of war, which of course is grim and there's trauma and there's grief. And and I don't think you shy away from that. I mean, you, it's, it's a central part of the story, particularly for Maggie's relationship with her brother, Patrick. But always your books are funny and full of adventure and action as well. And so finding that balance where you are authentic in terms of the representation of what is a difficult time for a child or anyone, but also to make it accessible to the current reader and not to get lost in that grim kind of darkness. How do you manage to to find that balance? By being true to the Australian character of the time, I think. But also, we were going through a pandemic. We still are. And we all felt that anxiety, right? And I know kids were, when I would zoom in, we were fortunate to be able to pivot and zoom into classes once we got we, we knew we could do that. But I could see from the kids just watching, you know, they were two-dimensional watching us on screen and, you know, they couldn't, be, couldn't get out there. And I think this is where books really come into their own, where the kids get a sense of walking in someone else's shoes to understand emotionally how to deal with something like the pandemic or World War II or what we're even going through right now. 
with the war in Ukraine. The books give us a sense to to be able to process things. We have editors to say, Fleach, you've gone too far. Can you pull mm. it back? You've gone too far with the death. I had a death in my last historical novel, A Great Escape, set in Berlin with the Berlin Wall. Again, I thought, how far can I push it? But this is very, this is real. I mean, I never want to talk down to kids. I want to be honest with them. You balance it out with the, the love and the light. There's a lot of light and, and that comes through the character of Gerald, who's Maggie's next door neighbour. And Gerald, again, he challenges the status quo because he's a boy who doesn't love footy, doesn't love sports. He's a song and dance boy. You know, he loves the theatre. He loves music. He wants to tap dance. He wants to grow up and be in the movies. And this is kind of odd for the community he lives in. So they make a great pair, these two, because <laughs> they really are challenging the day of 1942 and what you're supposed to be. And he brings a lot of lightheartedness to it. So so I do it through other characters. You can bring in the heaviness, but you need that. You do need that balance. So I do it probably through the dialogue of other characters. I mean, Gerald is delightful. He's irrepressible and he's unapologetically different. And you know, he he yeah. gets hassled for it a bit, but is very true to himself all the way through, which all I loved about him. Yeah, he's not a victim at all. He, he, not at he's all. He's happy. He knows who he is and where he's going. He has a loving mother and grandmother. They love him. He has a great best friend in Maggie. And even if he gets teased, he doesn't really – It's he's, he's going places, that kid. And he's there for Maggie. He's there for her. Where did he come from? Was, was there any inspiration for Gerald? <laughs> People go, is this a little bit for you because I was that – a strange kind of kid because I loved sport. I grew up in a small country town in Kyabram, of course, the connection with Gary Lyon and Specky McGee. I, Gary and I have known each other since we were kids. And in most uh, sporting town, well, sport is the language of a lot of Aussie towns and growing up in and out and around clubs. That's where you did your growing up. For me, but I had other interests. I loved the theatre. I loved, And I would could play sports with my mates and then I'd rush off to theatre rehearsals and they sort of accept it. They, they knew I loved it, but, I, you know, I didn't care. And that's where Gerald comes into it. And it's okay to love both. Kids do uh, everything these days. One night they might go and play basketball. The next night they have dance. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it should be. There isn't this. People like to separate, you know, that fine line between the arts and sport. And I think you can bring it in together. When I go in to speak to kids, I bring Specky to life through the arts, through movement, through drama and music. We have slow motion Specky marks. We uh, get them to put on, you know, accents. We do the whole thing. And I think it works beautifully together. We need to incorporate that a little more. I think. We'll come back to Specky because it's a 20th anniversary edition. I love that you get to release a book without having to write a new one. That's always good. Well done, you. <laughs> I think they just stuck in it. You know what? I would have loved to write a new book. There was one more and that was because the thread was, will he make it his dream to make it to the AFL? And for me, I always saw the last one as his draft year. He would have been 17, 18. It's a very <laughs> dif different sort of character than from a 13-year-old Specky. We, Gary and I, spent 11 years writing this together. It was a, a collaboration. It was a partnership. That was all it was. It was before social media and it was just Specky and Specky McGee and his world for 11 years. I mean, it's interesting that Specky has, has now hit that sort of nostalgic moment, but I'm so happy that a new generation is still continuing to read Specky McGee and it still rings true for a lot of people. So yeah, I'm hoping it'll go for another another 20 years. I bet your readers are too. He continues to find new readers everywhere. You, you basically pioneered kids 
footy fiction. It really wasn't a thing until you no, brought Specky to the landscape. Yeah, that was interesting. And only because I was living overseas at the time and I really missed uh, how sport plays a big part in Australian culture and growing up, especially growing up in a country town. It was, it was something I really missed. Even though I was <laughs> in the arts and theatre and living in London, I missed the sporting side of my myself. And coming back to that and seeing that there wasn't anything like that, I would have loved to have read Specky growing up, uh, something like Specky. Now I'm hoping it, they'll read Maggie, you know, and it's really important. I mean, I'm booked to speak at, at all girls' schools in the next couple of weeks to launch the book, but that's a given that the girls are, will pick it up. I hope they will, and I hope they all will but I really want to speak to the boys Nicole I had an email from the, one of the teachers when I spoke at this all boys school I won't say the school and the teacher wrote back and said I read the book and I want all the boys year five and sixes to read it as a, a gender equality for the gender equality unit that was that was a great <laughs> I mean I was happy with that I was touched by that and just thought well that's a great start you know this is where the work needs to be done so I, I applaud that wholeheartedly we talked on the show about a very recent report literally that came down International Women's Day a global report on attitudes of sexism and misogyny and all the rest of it and Australia is way above the the average of, of Western countries in terms of mm-hmm. sexist attitudes but when you break it up into gender it's not women bringing that average up it's actually men and while that might seem obvious women have not always been super you know across just how gender affects them and so the work needs to be done with our boys and it needs to be done with men as well in breaking down these injustices and sport is a great leveler it's just a great way to kind of remind us all of what we have in common rather than the differences we have and I think you've done that beautifully with with Maggie she's she's very relatable I think to any kid and and really to any adult, and certainly to this adult who wasn't allowed to play footy as a kid, <laughs> she she definitely oh, made brought a tear to my eye. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, we, we, oh, thank you, Nicole. That means a lot to me, and coming from 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 you especially. I I hope so. I hope there's this is all a part of it, right? We're all in this together to, to change the culture, to evolve. I mean, we want to evolve as, as a society. We need to do that through sport, but also through the arts and through writing stories like this. You know, I always say my first footy hero, and I dedicated this book to her, was um, I grew up, as I said, in Kyabram. There was a nun called Sister Joanna at St. Augustine's Primary School. Every lunchtime she would kick the footy, and she could kick a footy like no one else, and we loved her. You know, you didn't think about it. We were eight years old, you know, seven, eight. Yeah, we're just kicking, play kick the kick with Sister Joanna. We loved her. And then she grew up. She went, I went on my, to another school and she left town. And I kept telling this story to family and friends over the years and friends in London, friends in America at, at dinner parties or whatever. And I said, oh, this amazing nun. Oh, she's just amazing. I, one day I'll, I'll see her again, I'll meet her again. Well, a couple of years ago I was at a uh, festival in Queensland and this uh, elderly woman came up to me after one of my sessions and said, you you were talking about Specky McGee and growing up in Kyrum. I was uh, oh, I, I was at a school at St Augustine's at your primary school. And as she said that, I caught her eyes. Now, remember, I was only eight years old the last time I saw Sister Joanna. I said, you're not Sister Joanna who could kick a torpy. And she said, that's me. And I mean, there was, she gave me a big hug. She said, give me a hug. And I went, oh my God, I've talked about you so many times over the years. 
she was my sister Claire in this story in, in uh, The Unstoppable Flying Flanagan and I dedicated to her. I still need to track her down because that week, it was as if it was meant to happen, she was retiring. She said, this is my last week and I'm off to go and live on a beach somewhere in northern Queensland. So I'm still trying to track her down and try to get her a copy or at least talk to her and say, I uh, based Sister Claire on you. So Specky is 20 years old. I imagine if you started that series today, there will probably be different stories you'd tell or maybe different angle given how much has changed and, and the fact that when you started, there was no AFLW for us, for example. You know, there's been so many changes in the sporting landscape. Have you thought about what other stories you might tell in the contemporary? Yeah, I, I would definitely in, include social media in this and the impact of social media and what it has the impact on on young people, the the pressure it adds to to that, even to being someone because everyone seems to be their own brand. And what does that mean to someone coming through who's already a, a, a champion in their own backyard, but then it's magnified by a hundred or a thousand or a million on social media? Specking need to deal with that. Of course, there was the characters of Christina and Tiger Girl. They weren't allowed to play when I was writing that until about 13, right? So that would have to change. And what would their roles be in this? And the roles towards uh, Coach Paint. Uh, even back then, writing a, co- a female coach, it was questioned at the time when I was writing it by my editor and and why would we include that? And I said, well, why not? <laughs> why not? And would that that would definitely be different today. The, the main factor would be social media for this one and how to cope with the pressures. I find it it's a little off-putting for me, but we have to use it because of, of our job, really, and to let people know. But other than that, if we didn't, would we still use it? And how do you get to be yourselves in all this? And I think that's the question I'd ask Oh, I'd confront if I were to write Specky McGee. I'd still have all the action in it, and the game has changed a lot. I mean, in 20 years. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about when I grew up and the type of footy I used to watch, like Gary. And even for Gary, I, I, unless you're really on top of it, I think it would be kind of difficult. We need to bring some of the young guns in to help us write it, I think, as well. Uh, <laughs> I think there have been offers to do other things and, and, and modify it and we've just left as is because I don't want to break it. I think it's a part of the kid-lit landscape. It's very nice. I'm always touched when people come up. They might not know Felice Arena. They know Gary, of course. They may not know Felice Arena, but they do know Specky McGee and that's always that always that always makes me smile. And they you know, and, and parents who say, you know, thanks to you, you got my kids reading. That's what writers Love to hear. <laughs> That's what gives us a boost, really, to keep going. Funnily enough, during uh, 2020, a lot of people went back to uh, backlists of books or brands they knew and to try to find comfort in characters they grew up with. And there was a spike in um, sales for Specky because people just wanted to go back to stories that had comforted them growing up as a kid. And I could see that because I did the same. Yeah, that's really true. A lot of people went back to stories of, of another time so they could kind of separate from what was going on in the moment. And I also think for parents, it's nice for them to have those stories that aren't about social media as well. Like they're just there. They're in that time. It's not part of it. Kids can really disconnect and forget about that side of things. I mean, of course, there's a role for that as well, but there's something safe about it. There's something really safe and, and kind of comforting, I think, for a, a lot of kids and parents knowing that they are safe going into those stories and they're in the hands of a storyteller who knows how to keep their kids engaged there's real comfort to be found there sport is used as the backdrop to tell these bigger stories 
People don't, it's not a football record. It's not just facts and figures. Uh, that'd be bland and boring. You're telling real human stories through sport. If you're not into sport, you're going, going to connect with the relationships, the human side of these kids and what it's like to, to have friendships at high school, what it's like to have your, your relationships with your teammates, with your coaches, with your teachers and your parents. It's all there. You don't have to like the sport part of it if you don't want to. If you do, there's plenty there as well. And, and in both the stories, I'd say that's true with Specky and it's true with the unstoppable Flying Flanagan. I want to congratulate you on the 20th anniversary edition of the amazing Specky McGee and your gorgeous new book, The Unstoppable Flying Flanagan. This is a delightful addition to the tradition of sports stories and I love the historical component as well, but especially for children's fiction and I think we've never needed it more. So thank you so much, Felice, for joining us. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.